Welcome to the 525 Records Podcast. We got a banger of an episode for you today. A rare solo episode. How do you go from Taylor Swift to the CIA? Well, it's easy. And uh, I'm going to take you there in the second half of the episode. We're going to talk about private equity and the music rights acquisition game. Um, It just keeps getting bigger and crazier. Every major artist you've ever heard of is just selling out left and right like you've never seen. It's pretty incredible. I almost forgot this is the best fucking new YouTube channel I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I don't know when it, it started like last year, I think, but uh, I just found out about it. Yeah, you might remember Justin Hawkins from a little band called The Darkness. He started a podcast and it's fucking awesome. <laughs> Uh, here's one of the ones I watched like first. This is how the music again. Again. Okay, first of all, I mean that is the best fucking podcast sound you'll ever get in your life. You can't see it off screen, but there's another mic. I don't know what it is. It sounds like a large condenser. Um probably in an XY with this SM7, you know, and he's got a really nice guitar and he's, you know, the world's greatest musician, but listen to how good this fucking sounds. This is, you gotta watch this podcast. I just found it. It's so fucking awesome. Justin Hawkins rides again. Again. Good day to you. It is I, Justin Hawkins. This is Justin Hawkins Rides Again, my YouTube channel. Don't forget to like, subscribe, sign up for the alerts. Um, today, um, I'm going to be uh, regarding some um, interviews where people are talking about the pitfalls of the music trade. Um, they, I suppose it's, they're mostly cautionary tales, really, about you know, the legality and, and just the culture uh, of this sleazy business that we all um aspire to exist in i mean we're not even a minute in i mean i'm hooked (laughs) anyway uh check it out it's fucking awesome they're going to be using publishing partners and merchandising partners and people who are experienced in and know how to make that stuff you know one thing that did happen during the 60s was i love this frank zapper interview it's amazing some music of an unusual or experimental nature did get recorded and did get released and he's talking about how the old guard, the old boys network, were more inclined. Anyway, you know, I can't, you know, I'm not going to play the whole thing, but it's awesome. He gets into Prince. It's so fucking sick. And if there's any uh, of you Greta Van Fleet fans out there, this is the one that popped up in my auto feed. Uh, and it made me think of uh, those Greta Van Fleet fans. You know who you are. I mean, I'm not one of them, but, uh, you know. This is how you properly critique Greta Van, Greta Van Fleet by Justin Hawkins. It's awesome. Hi, Justin Hawkins um, from the darkness. This is Justin Hawkins rides again. Placenta than Josh, but it's really paid dividends for Josh because when he sings high, he's not doing it in falsetto. It's like an upper mid-range thing and it's fairly staggering. I think if he did use his falsetto, you'd find him in the castrato range and that's super impressive. and. That with loud guitars is always going to be a win, I think. Um, yeah, he's brilliant. So, anyway. It's awesome. Uh, you know, he's talking about why they're, you know, not like, they're more like ACDC than Led Zeppelin, which, you know, when you think about it, it's kind of fucking true. 
Yeah, so they need more pushes in the in the in the in the um, rhythm section and so on and so forth. What I noticed about his vocal delivery is that on the earlier record, um, featuring songs like Highway Tune, which is the most gen I mean, the only way you could have a more generic title is if it was called Cruising Down the Highway. Whilst there's some there's some good technical stuff happening in the drumming, they're just not they're not pushing, they're not syncopating, they're not doing what a Led Zeppelin tribute band should do. I'm I'm undecided now as to whether that's a good thing or a bad thing because when you're doing like a straight up like if it was Led Zeppelin they would go you know it'll be but it's just so it's more like a Phil Rudd approach when it gets to that point and it's it's really a shame it's actually a crime to have sort of Zeppelin influenced riffs with you know ACDC rhythm section you can't these two things don't combine you know but I, w I wonder what they're then I mean how great is that yeah check it out it's awesome the other news that I wanted to talk about first though is Epic Games bought Bandcamp which is crazy uh, people are freaking out they don't know what to make of it it's an interesting acquisition Epic Games you know they make Fortnite they went to battle with Apple over the royalties, their whole thing is 12%. That's what they take the creators of whatever content, video games, now music, could be video, could be anything. Now, um, usually they get 88%. So this is interesting, you know, and uh, the reactions were priceless last week. <laughs> I just clipped a few of them. This is pretty quick, but yeah, Epic Games bought Bandcamp and uh, everybody's freaking out. Here we go. Bandcamp is joining Epic Games. Is it just me? Or is the universe deteriorating? Are things just not adding up the way they used to? Are things just freaking out of whack? We've had a lot of horrible things happen the past five years. Just progressively getting worse every year it seems. Lots of weird things happening. This is probably the weirdest thing. This is actually just weird. Like, is it is it gonna result in mass deaths and poverty? No. Today in the news, the world of video game corporate acquisitions just continues to get weirder. As I'm sure you're aware, it's been a trend lately. Big companies are buying up small companies, which is why Epic Games today announced they're buying Bandcamp? Bandcamp was acquired by Epic Games. Epic Games is the creator of Fortnite and also Unreal Engine, which is like this big engine that uh, a lot of game developers use to make their games. Bandcamp, of course, is a streaming uh, streaming platform where artists can upload their music. Artists can either set their own price or have the audience name a price. Artists get a lot of the revenue from those sales. And in an age where a lot of these big streaming platforms are paying out super unfair royalties towards artists, a platform like this doesn't come around. A whole lot. The actual details of the acquisition were not really clear to be honest. For one, we don't know how much money that they were acquired for, which I guess fair. And also, the only thing that really seems clear is that Epic Games wants to create this ecosystem of marketplaces for creators, whether that is for games, for videos, or for music. Bandcamp, I guess, ties into that somehow. I guess that makes sense. Uh, yeah, that is the big news there. Now, this is not by any means the first time uh, that Epic Games have acquired a company. Let's do a quick roll call of recent ones 
I have covered. This is over the last, say, two to three years. Uh, let's see, we've got Sketchfab, which I mentioned earlier on, a 3D resource site, kind of the equivalent, as we'll call it the Bandcamp for 3D modelers, ironically enough. They acquired Quixels, the makers of Bridge, Quixel, and Megascans. Uh, they acquired ArtStation, an online art community. Uh, they acquired Capture and Reality, a photogrammetry software, and in the case of all those last three, by the way, they immediately lowered the prices or the commissions that they pay, or they increased the commissions that they paid out to people that use those sites. Uh, they acquired Rad Game Tools, the makers of uh, Rad uh, uh, Telemetry, Mile Sound System, Granny Compression, but mostly uh, Bink and Oodle compression systems, one for video, one for just general compression, both of which, by the way, have been integrated into Unreal Engine for free at this point in time, and at the same time, existing customers using other engines or other technologies or rolling their own uh, continue to get the same level of support they got in the past, at least as far as I understand it. Uh, they acquired Super Awesome, a company dedicated to online protection of children. Uh, Cubic Motion, a facial animation company. And I think this was partially rolled into with the acquisition of Three Lateral uh, into the MetaHumans project for creating digital faces, which, by the way, is also available for free for Unreal Engine user developers. They acquired House Party Social Video Chat Platform. I don't know what's happened with House Party since. Uh, I, I think it just kind of continued as going. I'm not 100% certain there, uh, but that was an acquisition. If you use House Party, let me know, did it get better, worse, did it change, whatever. Uh, and then on top, they acquired Kamu, anti-cheat software. So yeah, a lot of acquisitions leading up to them acquiring Bandcamp. Uh, I, I know, again, Bandcamp has some very loyal, lovely users out there that are going to be Probably, if you're not familiar with Epic Games, a little worried right now. So if you're here as a Bandcamp user that isn't that familiar with Epic Games, don't worry. Uh, they're they're generally a pretty good steward. Now, it is a little scary having all of these, um, say, media-centric sites being owned by one person. ArtStation is really important to the art community. Sketchfab is really important to the 3D community. Bandcamp is really important to the... Um, musician community and the fact that epic games has been a good steward so far is great but having them control so much of the i don't know lifeblood of indie creation kind of gets a little bit scary but the flip side is it's better than them being bought by facebook or uh you know another evil empire so this is definitely uh you you are happy to see it be epic games as opposed to anybody else they normally immediately come in and mix up the revenue model now the fact that they didn't here is probably because bandcamp has a more fair revenue model epics on a crusade to get away from the 30 70 split um and this isn't generally as generous as their revenue split is, but it's still quite good. So no announcements on that front. But if you are a Bandcamp publisher, I would not be amazingly surprised to see in time that that switches to 88%. Because that seems to be the number that Epic has decided is the fairest. Uh, so basically, Bandcamp would take 12%. You would get 88%. Uh, but again, no announcement there yet. And I think a lot of that is simply because of the fact 82 is a heck of a lot more fair on the industry whole than the 70% that you know the Google Store or the Apple Store or so on currently take as a cut. Yeah, I mean, murders and acquisitions abound all over the music industry. It's insane. I mean, uh, let's just do the quick rundown here. Five billion was spent on music rights acquisitions in 2021. Could 2022 be even bigger? And then also, let me say, if you're listening to this uh, audio only, I highly recommend going over to the 525 YouTube channel and watching the video version because uh, I'm pouring through New York Times articles and stock charts and all kinds of crazy 
shit so uh yeah five billion you know and who's doing all the buying private equity firms right 400 million here 1.1 billion there this is the firm right here though kkr uh kohlberg kravis and roberts uh chord music that's one of the big ones um warner music group i mean you know it just goes on and on david bowie here we go right you know january 3rd 2022 warner music group acquired the global music publishing rights to david bowie's song catalog the price of the deal was in the region of 250 million you know john legend bmg and kkr you know making a deal i mean it just it's insane uh here's a variety article the ins and outs of music catalog sales and behind the scenes players advising songwriters who cash out april 8th 2021 in variety and there's a line in here that's really really good uh Investing in music is like the new yacht. You're at the dinner table with all of your high net worth peers, and you used to say you have a, your yacht in Marina del Rey or the south of France, but now you want to be able to say that you've bought into some artist's catalog. You get those kinds of bragging rights. I mean, it's a lot like the art game, you know? Like, these billionaires are just, oh, I got a Picasso, I got a Monet, whatever. You know, they're just, uh, you know, fighting each other over who has the bigger private jet or art collection or whatever yacht, you know, this is great too. Everybody lies about the size of their deals. Anyone who sold a catalog wants to go around and say they got a bigger check than they got. So there's pie in the sky aspirations. They all involve NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. These are probably the most gossip secure transactions I've ever done. I mean, it's crazy. This is from NPR Music News, January 4th, 2022. The headline is David Bowie joins a list of stars whose back catalogs are sold for gigantic sums. Q changes. Warner Chapel bought the songs for what may be more than 250 million. This is great. It says, this isn't merely a catalog, but a living, breathing collection of timeless songs that are as powerful and resonant today as they were when they were first written. I mean, yeah. The announcement follows a string of similar ones the past two years. Bruce Springsteen, he had the biggest one. Paul Simon, Bob Dylan, Stevie Nicks, Neil Young. Just some of the stars who have recently sold off substantial rights to their music. Now, who is buying these, right? We're talking Blackstone, KKR, Apollo. I mean, the most evil private equity hedge funds in the world. And uh, it's just fascinating to me. And, you know, they just keep doing these deals. It's insane. Uh, the article says Springsteen sold his entire back catalog, including songwriting and recordings to Sony Music Group, according to a December 16 announcement. Industry reports placed the purchase at north of 500 million. I mean, how how long until we have a billion dollar deal? I mean, who's <laughs> who's going to be the artist that sells their back catalog for a billion dollars? I mean, my goodness. The article continues, quote, all of a sudden the market is crazy and everyone's paying ridiculous sums of money. And people worry it's a bubble. Maybe it's the right time to sell. And this, this really kind of sums it up. And and this is why I wanted to lead off with the Epic Games buys Bandcamp story. You know, Bandcamp for indie artists and, um, you know, independent bands and stuff like that. I mean, they it's a lifeblood, you know. People really make a living doing it. And the cuts, the, the percentages are great. And there's no evil empire to get in the way it's just you distributing your music to anybody that wants to hear it and pay for it through their service you know and you know epic games is trying to be this one-stop shop sort of walmart of content creation where it's whether it's video games to music to whatever 
and what do what do video games need a lot of music you know but this this uh, article at the bottom here really sums it up it says synergy is also the name of the game here when sony buys up springsteen's music they can use it more easily in movies and tv made by sony studios other artists on sony labels can sample or cover his songs and whenever a bruce springsteen biopic comes out you can bet a sony movie studio will make it so there you have it right there this is the 2022 billboard power list right written on uh, january 26 2022 by billboard staff it says money changes everything over the past year new types of investors poured record sums into music reshaping the power dynamics of the business so billboard decided to take a closer look at how the industry's most powerful executives stack up now on the list that follows we rank the top 25 and present the rest in alphabetical order by sector so here's your number one player according to billboard sir lucian grange i don't know how the hell you pronounce that chairman and ceo of universal music group they go public they make a ton of money they're buying a ton of music it goes on to say universal's direct listing that's the stock going public was a watershed moment for both the world's biggest music company and the industry at large signaling a new era in the value of music as a financial asset i mean my goodness at as of press time umg's valuation stands at 53.9 billion that figure was inconceivable when he took over the top job at universal in 2011 and it's true you know i mean music the music industry was in the doldrums for like 15 years it was just losing money hand over fist and nobody could recover from the napster era and and, you know slowly but surely streaming started taking over and before you know it here we are today you know it's music is a financial asset now just like a stock or an equity or a piece of property this is like the height of the nft craze too you know i mean it's just crazy stuff going on and it's fascinating times so the list goes on uh, chairman of sony music is the number two steven cooper this article is great all right here we are at number 18 on the list and this is this is gonna be something that's relevant to the second half of the episode this there's a name in here right here this dude scooter braun and uh, he's an interesting character to say the least so this one's a little complicated uh, i don't know if you know k-pop and uh, bts but you know they're like huge and there's a lot of money and uh, so he's uh, you know he's in the mix scooter braun is a name you want to remember so the article goes on it says braun whose sb projects last year co-produced a slate of documentaries about his biggest clients including Demi Lovato's Dancing with the Devil, J Balvin's The Boy from Medellin, and Justin Bieber's Our World, struck a $1 billion deal in April, under which Hybe, I don't know how the hell you say that right, but uh, acquired and merged with his Ithaca Holdings. And this is also going to come back to haunt you in the second half of the episode. We'll leave that as a teaser. And then here's the one we're going to spend the most of the time on today this guy uh mercuriadis i don't know good luck pronouncing that name this this is what drew me to this whole episode and why i wanted to talk about this because you know i was like i've heard this name this hypnosis song management right hypnosis song management what is that hypnosis songs fund i mean what is this stuff who is this guy you know he's number 20 on billboard's power player list but i mean he i think he should be a lot higher if you ask me 
I'm just going to read this little section of the article because it's uh, there's one word at the very end of the sentence that's really key and paramount to this whole thing we're going to talk about today. The article says, The hypnosis spending spree over the past three years, during which the company bought a slew of assets from big-name music artists and left other veteran music industry assets traders stunned, slowed down a bit last year. But Mercuriatus is looking forward to more of the same in 2022, however. Now that his company is backed by mega financial firm Blackstone. Blackstone, you might remember them. Uh, you know, in 2020, when the uh, Fed was cranking out liquidity, Blackstone basically merged with the government to make acquisitions on behalf of the Treasury and the Fed. I mean, Blackstone is, is might as well be the Federal Reserve. Uh, even your favorite music now is you know part of this blackstone machine so here's i mean here's some of the list of uh deals they did red hot chili peppers publishing for 140 mil song catalogs of fleetwood mac christine McVie, and lindsey buckingham the publishing for both kaiser chiefs and red atkins and the song and rec recorded master royalties from hearts and wilson most of these acquisitions occurred in the first six months of 2021 the rest of the year the rest of the year was spent putting together the deal with Blackstone, in which the company acquired a stake in the Hypnosis song management platform and brought in new, listen to this, new financial systems. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? To improve operational and financial controls, according to Mercuriatus. So, I mean, and this is the thing about Blackstone. It's not like they're just an evil private equity firm that just does money deals. No, 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 no. It's much deeper and much bigger than that. The people that run Blackstone are like really big power players. They've been around for a long time. We're going to, we're going to get to it. We're going to talk about it. Uh, I got it all queued up, but I just want to tease this a little to let you know, you know, the music game has fucking gone full on wall street. It's insane. Meanwhile, the Blackstone deal, which is expected to provide a minimum of $1 billion in funding for acquisitions, was still among the biggest announcements of the year. With Blackstone's backing, quote, every deal is now possible. <laughs> yeah, no shit. And then there's the good old Cracklin' Rosie. This is uh, the New York Post from March 12, 2022. Neil Diamond sells entire song catalog to Universal Music Group. Neil Diamond is the latest music legend to sell his song catalog and the rights to his recordings to Universal Music Group. UMG, which represents the likes of Taylor Swift, Rihanna, Adele, Kanye, did not disclose the value of the deal, but it follows a similar string of acquisitions from Sting's music earlier this month for a reported $250 million to Bob Dylan's catalog for over $300 million in 2020. Diamond's Pact includes the rights to all recordings from his career, 110 unreleased tracks, and an unreleased album. Now, I mean, why are all these guys doing this, right? Like, I mean, before 2019 and this whole craze of private equity buying all this music, um, you know, like, it's well known. Like, Elvis sells more records today than he ever did when he was live, you know. I mean, same with Nirvana. Prince is another great example. You know, these are estates that, you know they're valuable and why do you why would you want to give them up you know and this is i mean the kind of money they're throwing around it's like everybody's just throwing in the towel and, and there's gonna be some kind of crazy shift i mean this is what streaming has done to the music game it is like all these guys all these old timers that have these proven 
estates that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, I mean, they're only going to get more valuable. So why would you sell something today that you know is going to be more valuable tomorrow? Not only, not to mention, you know, all the, um, likeness and, uh, you know, publishing stuff, you know, when you want to use Neil Diamond's name, right? These guys are just signing away their life. I mean, mark my words, it's only gonna be a matter of time. You know, you're, you're going to see Bob Dylan's masters of war in a, in a BMW commercial. <laughs> that's, what's, that's where this is all headed. So hypnosis, right? What is this hypnosis songs fund? This is from their website. Uh, these are all the songs they have. If you're listening to audio only, you're not going to see any of this, but you know, it's an incredible amount of songs and artists. This is their team. Uh, it says hypnosis songs fund is the first UK investment company offering investors, a offering investors a pure play exposure to songs and associated musical intellectual property rights. Our focus is building a diversified portfolio, acquiring catalogs that are built around proven hit songs of cultural importance by some of the most talented and important songwriters globally. Now, I mean, before this hit music, this is called in wall street, it's called consolidation, right? Like, um, Pepsi and Coke, right? It's a duopoly. Coca-Cola has bought every competitor that's ever existed. You know, they've folded it all into the Coca-Cola brand name. Look at airlines, right? Like Spirit Airlines and Frontier Airlines just announced a merger. Uh, This is what's called consolidation. You know, there's just less and less choices until you get to this, you know, mega corp like Walmart or Amazon where they just own everything. And the illusion of competition exists. But in reality, it's a complete cartel monopoly. Um, So... They go on to say their shares are listed on the main market of the London Stock Exchange and they're in the FTSE 250 index. So that's, you know, so this is this Merc Mercuriatus. I should really look up how to pronounce his name before I do this podcast. <laughs> Fuck it. I mean, look at this guy, dude. Does this look like a guy you want to hang out with? I mean, does it look like a trustworthy, you know, cool dude? Who knows, man? I mean, this is like insane. The amount of songs that these guys have. And this really tells you all you need to know right here about consolidation and cartel monopoly capitalism, right? And how it's, it's now coming to the music industry. Uh, all I want for Christmas is you has just hit 1 billion streams on Spotify. I've been certified diamond for sales of 10 million copies and has been named the number one of greatest all time holiday 100 songs. We also own the rights on 12 of the top 50 albums in the UK this week. That's almost 25% of the entire chart. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Indeed. You know, I mean, you start looking at some of these numbers. I mean, they are mind boggling and, uh, yeah. So hypnosis songs fund limited. Okay. What, what is that? You know, it's basically a song fund just as advertised. And, uh, this is just a quick, like brief, there's a dollar 41 stock on the London stock exchange. It's technically a penny stock. Uh, if you want to buy it in America, you got to do it OTC or over the counter. Um, and then, you know, here's this Blackstone hypnosis song management form $1 billion partnership for music rights. Hmm. So let's look at a chart, you know, let's keep, let's keep digging down this rabbit hole. Okay. So hypnosis songs fund limited. All right. Now there's, there's a lot of different tickers for this, that it trades under a lot of different tickers on a lot of different exchanges. It's a, I mean, I'm into the stock market big time and it's fucking baffling to me how this works. But if, if I wanted to buy this here in America, this is the ticker I would use. It's HPGSF. It's Hypnosis Songs Fund Limited. It's OTC. It's on the London Stock Exchange, but it trades uh, on the what they call the pink sheets or the over-the-counter stocks. 
here in America. Now, here's the interesting thing, right? Here's the IPO. This is, uh, you know, 2020, you know, and they're doing all these deals, all these acquisitions. We're looking at a dollar fifty a share here. Uh, it touched two dollars back in November of 2020, but you know, pretty solid, consistent range. A lot of volume right here. But what has happened recently? This is what's fascinating to me. It's taken a huge dump, right? You know, for whatever reason, in uh, February, along I guess with the overall market, you know, this thing has just absolutely fucking tanked, and it's now sitting at a buck forty a share. So pretty cheap if you want to get into it, you know. You too can participate in this explosion. You could be your own Blackstone if you wanted to be. All you have to do is buy Hypnosis Songs Fund Limited and you too have a little piece of the action, you know. You too will own a little piece of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and uh, Mariah Carey and all those other things. So I think it's fascinating. Listen to this. This is an amazing record. It's from a great band. They are called The Smokes. They're from Portland, Oregon. And the record is nine songs, four, five, six. Just type in Smokes, four, five, six, and it pops right up. As you can imagine, there's a couple of bands called The Smokes out there, so it may be a little corn-fusing to find it. But that's the easiest and quickest way, and that is on iTunes and Spotify. So if you're on Spotify, same thing. It's super easy. Just type in Smokes456, and it pops right up. This is the album. Nine songs, 456, from the band The Smokes out of Portland, Oregon. Awesome songs like this one. Once you're done, if you still need more smokes, just hit the artist link. That'll pull up the other records. Now, back to the podcast. Warning. The rest of this podcast contains verified harmful extremist content. We're going to be going deep into 9-11, the CIA, the world of private equity, and uh, the fascinating world of music rights acquisition, and what they all have to do with each other, and what the hell does Taylor Swift have to do with the CIA anyway? So if uh, that's not your cup of tea, feel free to turn it off. All right, but here's the real meat, okay? Blackstone, right? Evil in a nutshell, as I like to call him. Here's, uh, this is from Money Inc. 20 things you didn't know about Steven Schwartzman. Uh, number one, <laughs> he was in the same society as George W. Bush. Do we, do we know what that society is? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Yes, this is the Skull and Bones Society from Yale University. In 65, he graduated from high school. Schwartzman attended Yale University. While a student, Schwartzman was a member of the same Skull and Bones secret society as George W. Bush. Wow. Now, they were secret back then. They're not so secret anymore, especially after the 2004 election. But this this is your, these are your, you know, he's, you might as well be George Bush running Blackstone. (laughs) 
it's insane. And then just this is an oldie but a giddy. You were both in Skull and Bones, the secret society. This is from this is uh, sorry. I apologize for the incredibly poor quality because this thing is uh, what is I don't even know how many 2004. So it's 17 years old. This is like before YouTube, and somebody just ripped this from a shitty cell phone from a TV. But the audio is good enough to listen to. But this is this is a very famous exchange in in 2004. George Bush ran against John Kerry. Nobody talked about it at the time except for Tim Russert, but this is it really illustrates how corrupt American politics are because they were both members of the same secret society as Stephen Schwartzman in the same years. You guessed it, skull and bones. So, so what does that say, you know, in a country of 300 million people that the two people running against each other for president were both in the same uber secret? I mean, it's not easy to get into skull and bones. They take, I don't know, like 12 people a year, or 20 people a year, something like that. I mean, you start doing the math on this and it's just beyond the realm of statistical probability. And it really is a good illustration to show you how the world really works. You know, welcome to the 525 Records podcast. So this is famous clip, Tim Russer confronting George Bush and John Kerry about their membership in this elusive, exclusive secret society. Here we go. You were both in Skull and Bones, the secret society. It's so secret we can't talk about it. What does that mean for America? The conspiracy theorists are going to go wild. I'm sure they are. I don't know. I haven't seen the web. Number 322? <laughs> uh, first of all, he's not the nominee. And, uh, but, uh, look, I look for... Are you prepared to lose? No, I'm not going to lose. No, I'm not going to You both were members of Skull and Bones, a secret society at Yale. What does that tell us? Uh, not much, because it's a secret. <laughs> Is there a secret handshake? Is there a secret code? I wish there were something secret I could manifest. 322, a secret number? Uh, there are all kinds of secrets, Tim, but one thing is not a secret. I disagree with this president's direction that he's taking the country. We can do a better job, and I intend to do it. And we'll be watching. Be safe on the campaign trail. John Kerry, thanks, thanks for joining us. And we'll be right back. And uh, a year later, Tim Russert kicks, kicks over dead of a heart attack. Coincidence? I mean... Oh yeah, you're just you're a conspiracy theorist, Elliot. Anyway, this gets better. Bear with me here. If you haven't had enough, uh, this is this is how you go from Taylor Swift to the CIA. I'm taking you there, people. I am taking you there. This is KKR Colbert, Kravis Roberts. They are number two with Apollo behind Blackstone for uh, the world's greatest evil. In a nutshell, um, the real reason why KKR wants. Petraeus on call. Now, who remembers this guy? Dave Petraeus. Anybody remember the Iraq invasion? Anybody? <laughs> so Petraeus, you know, he's in the army. He gets ousted. This is going to take us to Hastings. But we're, this is what happens to these guys after they get out of, you know, the service. They go work for these private equity companies. You know, uh, Kissinger and Associates is a great example. Rudy Giuliani, um, after he got out, he started his own hedge fund, Giuliani and Associates. Uh, you know, um, this is these are the real power players in the world. This KKR Global Institute could Petraeus. This is the article, by the way, which is uh, dated May thirtieth, twenty thirteen. This is from Forbes, and it says could Petraeus use his network of connections to help KKR close more deals, perhaps. But there's a deeper motive for this alliance that looks far more compelling. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to read a little of this. Uh, at the world's largest private equity firms, KKR, Blackstone, Carlyle, TPG Capital, top executives obsess about the way their their brands are perceived. It's not enough to be widely known as big, powerful, and very good at money making. 
Everyone reached that plateau decades ago. What the private equity bosses really crave is the statesmanlike reputation enjoyed by Warren, Buffett, and hardly any other deal makers. It's this is what I'm talking about. Everybody wants a bigger boat, right? Now all these guys, instead of fighting over art collections, they're fighting over who owns Bob Dylan and uh, Stevie Nicks and Bruce Springsteen. It's the next domino to drop, you know? The Forbes article continues, Blackstone has always had a bit of a geopolitical cachet, thanks to founding partner Pete, it's Pete G. Peterson. He's another interesting character. So the two guys that formed Blackstone is Pete Peterson and this Schwartzman guy. And uh, these guys are as deep in the deep as you can get. And uh, so he was Commerce Secretary. Um, it, the article goes on. Carlisle, which is another private equity, more defense-based private equity firm, at one time had former President George H.W. Bush, also former director of the CIA, as an advisor, helping to buttress that firm's image as deeply connected to the political realm. Ah, okay. Now it's KKR's turn to try. And the article concludes, it's a big mandate. If Petraeus succeeds, his hiring will be a bargain for KKR, no matter what the firm is paying him. If he doesn't get much traction, at least the staffers should keep busy cranking out more writings about central bank policy. Well, man, isn't that pertinent today? I mean, Fed's in this pickle where they have to raise rates. What are we, are we still talking about music here? No, (laughs) but, uh, this is this is what this is where music is going now people like this right kkr petraeus blackstone these are your these are the firms that are buying these gigantic catalogs you know people see the headline oh springsteen sells his catalog 550 million you know but they don't nobody ever asks you well who's buying it and you know who are who are the people that run these firms and when you really start looking into it it gets pretty disgusting pretty quick you know This is a Politico article. The headline is David Petraeus on what went wrong after 9-11. It's dated uh, September 9th, 2021. Here the article says, uh, Petraeus is probably the most recognizable battlefield commander of the post 9-11 era. He served as the top general in both Iraq and Afghanistan, oversaw all U.S. military forces in the Middle East, and later served as director of the CIA. What a coinkydink! Director of the CIA, David Petraeus. Uh, who else? George H.W. Bush, Carlisle, Petraeus, KKR. S- who's in Skull and Bones? George, both George Bushes, the elder and the younger, right? This Skull and Bones is the CIA. That's that's what you got to take away from this. In a, in a, what is the quick answer? Nutshell, kind of you know take. The article continues. On 9-11, Petraeus was a one-star general serving in Bosnia as part of the NATO stabilization force after that country's civil war. Petraeus, now 68, is a partner at KKR, a private investment firm which has a large stake in German media company Axel Springer, which has agreed to acquire Politico. Wow, what's the article you're reading right now? (laughs) And chairman of the KKR Global Institute. Here's some of what he had to say. Anyway, it keeps going, uh, you know, what happened on 9-11, what went wrong, you know, it's all a very square in the box kind of take, but it's, it's just, they're telling you, you know, this is, this is the world as it works, which brings me to Michael and Hastings and welcome to all of our listeners and viewers around the country. Does anybody remember Michael Hastings? Uh, well, here's a quick refresher. This is, uh, try not to cringe too hard or vomit in your mouth a little bit from watching democracy now but you know this is you got to remember this is 20 this is from 2010 2010 democracy now was still kind of 
respectable. I mean, they've really fallen off a cliff in recent years, but this is Michael Hastings. And around the world. The Senate has confirmed General David Petraeus as the new commander of the Afghanistan war in a unanimous vote of 99 to 0. Petraeus was tapped as Afghan war commander after his predecessor, General Stanley McChrystal, was fired over disparaging remarks he made about the Obama administration that were published in a Rolling Stone article. In addition to the widely publicized comments McChrystal and his team made about top officials, including Vice President Joe Biden, Richard Holbrook, and Carl Eikenberry, the article exposed longstanding disagreements between civilian and military officials over the conduct of the war. President Obama announced he was stripping McChrystal of his command last week. And as difficult as it is to lose General McChrystal, I believe that it is the right decision for our national security. The conduct represented in the recently published article does not meet the standard that should be set by a commanding general. It undermines the civilian control of the military that is at the core of our democratic system. And it erodes the trust that's necessary for our team to work together to achieve our objectives in Afghanistan. General McChrystal announced his retirement from the military Tuesday after a 34-year career. He called his comments published in Rolling Stone a mistake reflecting poor judgment. Michael Hastings is the reporter who broke the story in the Rolling Stone. The article is called The Runaway General. Michael Hastings joins us now in our studio. He is just back from Afghanistan. We welcome you to Democracy Now! Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Were you surprised at the effect of your article, Michael? Uh, very surprised. Uh, I, I, when I when I I'd been reporting this article for a number of months, and I knew I had very strong material, uh, but I did not know what the impact was going to be. I figured it would be, you know, uh, maybe give uh, General McChrystal and his team a headache for a couple days, and then it would be swept under the rug, and uh, I'd lose my access, and we'd go on, and, and I'd write another story. They would kind of think I'm a jerk, and uh, and we'd go on from there. So th there were very serious issues. There's, there's problems with the, the withdrawal timeline. I had a, a senior military official in Kabul tell me that um, if things were going well, they're going to ask for another surge of troops next summer. So, so these were all issues that they, they've been out there. And, and, and you know, I, I think the reporters covering the stories have done a great job for the, the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Times. I mean, they, they do a great job of McClatchy. They do a great job of covering this stuff. I think it just happened to be this moment where in Rolling Stone we were able to take all these sort of feelings and sentiments that were out there and just, you know, concentrated in, in, in 8,000 words or 6,000 words or whatever it was, and that's why it created such an impact. Just a quick walk down memory lane, you know, you, this is kind of 2010, uh, probably the last time journalism was ever, like, real. Uh, you know, he wrote this, he got trapped with these guys, he wrote this story, it led to this general getting fired, you know. This, it's for, that's press. That's, uh, you know, that's your fourth estate right there. And then he dies in a fiery car crash. Is also and here's the, this couple quick clips from that fucking racist alt-right Nazi Joe Rogan. That plume being in the air, which restricted flying, is all tied into the death of that journalist, Michael Hastings. Do you know that, that crazy conspiracy theory? Mm -mm. It's one of the weirder ones, man. It's one of the weirder ones. This guy, Michael Hastings, was this sort of renegade journalist type character. And when he put all this in the article, the general had to resign. And he was like one of the most popular and most powerful generals in the army. Then, shortly thereafter, homeboy decided to go 120 miles an hour down Sunset and slam into a tree and his car exploded. Mm, yes. And everybody's like, it's a fucking murder. It's 
I mean, isn't that rep- <laughs> just like Tim Russert, you know, then shortly thereafter, <laughs> he just dies of a heart attack. Fascination. And then there was all these tech guys that were coming out and they were saying, listen, you absolutely can hack a car and change the direction, change the, the what, what the car does, take control of the car. You absolutely can do that. And they were like, Abs- absolutely. He was like, absolutely. He was like, absolutely. A hundred percent you do it. Do you have... We know these people, there's videos of people falling asleep in their Teslas, right? The car just drives you there. You get on the highway, it just drives you. We know that's real. It turns. It'll turn. It'll make turns for you. It'll park. They have cars that park. You don't think that they can, that they figured out a long time ago, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could just tap into that and make this motherfucker drive into a tree? On Star Kill. If they didn't, they would be so incompetent that I don't want to hear any conspiracy theories ever again. Because if the government didn't look at that stuff, if the government, like the assassins, didn't look at that and go, whoa, 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 hold on a second. So you telling me if the head of ISIS is in a car and it's a Mercedes, we can hack into that car and make that motherfucker drive off a cliff? We can do that? Okay, well, let's do that. <laughs> Fucking 100%. Those people all day are trying to figure out a way to kill bad guys. You don't think they would think of that? Of course they would. Here's another good clip. This is uh, an actual scientist talking about the Michael Hastings uh, incident. I have to ask you this because now I just remember this. You'd be the perfect person to talk about this. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember this case, but there was a guy named Michael Hastings. Michael Hastings was a journalist, and uh, he comes back. The general was forced to resign. Um, he was a beloved general, and uh, Michael Hastings was in fearing for his life because he thought that they were going to come and get him because these people were very, very angry at him. He wound up driving his car into a tree going like 120 miles an hour, and the car exploded, and the engine went flying. And people that were the conspiracy theorists were saying they believed that that car had been rigged to work autonomously or that someone, some third party, bad person, decided to, or good person, depending on your perspective, decided to drive that guy's car into a fucking tree at 120 miles an hour. Do you think that that, and this is 2011? 2013? Yeah, June 2013. Do you think that in 2013 that would have been possible? It's entirely possible. Mm. No, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the <laughs> Joe Rogan subreddit. Okay. Uh, check that one off the list. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, pull that up. Check uh, that off. <laughs> um, I, uh, whether it's possible is an interesting question. Whether it's likely is a, another question. I, I, I think it's very unlikely. And the other most important question is that's something we should worry at scale about our future. Is cars being used to assassinate essentially people? Mm-hmm. I'm Russian, so I've I've heard of those things being done by uh, our friend Putin over. Mm-hmm. Uh, ah, he's Russian. He's heard of those things being done by his friend Putin, who, as you know, is was in the KGB, the equivalent of the CIA. Is this the kind of stuff the CIA does? I mean. <laughs> Anybody? I, I think, I think it's very uh, unlikely that this kind of thing would happen at scale. That people would use this. I think there'll be more effective ways to achieve this kind of end. For sure. And I, I just think it's a very difficult technical challenge. 
that uh, uh, if hacking happens, it would be at a different level than hacking the AI systems. It would be just hacking software. Right. And hacking software is the kind of the, the kind of thing that can happen with anything, an elevator, so, elevator software or uh, any kind of software that operates any aspect of our lives could be hacked in that same kind of way. Right. My, my question, though, was in 2013, was that technology available where they could take over someone's car? Do you know what car it was? Mercedes. I think it was an C S-Class. C-250. C? <clears throat> C? C-Class. Yes. Yes. Yes, but I, uh, I don't think, oh boy, this is like... Uh, no, but listen, this has been widely speculated. I know. I'm just asking you because you're actually an expert. I mean, it's very rare that you get an expert in autonomous vehicles and you get to run a conspiracy theory by them to see if they can just put a stamp okay. on it being possible or not. Let me just say that Alex Jones is officially not allowed to say MIT scientist says, <laughs> which is exactly what he's going to try to do. Uh, no, I, I'm. First of all, let me back off and say I am not a security expert, which is a very important difference. That is, that is important. Okay, so then, uh, autonomous vehicle. I build uh, autonomous vehicle systems. I don't know how to make them extremely robust to security to hacking attacks. Right. And I have a lot of really good friends, which are some of the coolest people uh, I, I know, who are basically hackers converted to security experts. I would say, though, loosely speaking, I think the technology was there, yes, for with physical access to the car to be able to control it. But I don't – I think it's extremely unlikely that's what happened. I agree. I, I see where you're coming from. Um, I'm not asking you whether or not it's likely that it happened. I'm, I'm sure you don't even have much information on the case because I had to explain it to you, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, the guy also had uh, some serious amphetamines in his system. Um, they compared it to crystal meth, but the reality is he was a journalist and most journalists, I want to say most, a lot are on Adderall and Adderall is essentially amphetamines. I mean, that's what it is. It's real. It's like, it's like next door neighbors to crystal meth it really is. Um, he, is it, well, you said it's possible. They could tr actually get it to turn the wheel. Yeah, so I have to look at the exact system. Like it's that drive-by-wire thing that mm -hmm. I mentioned. Some systems are not uh, – it's not so easy to turn the wheel, actually. Right, could, with, with but code. it could get him to just accelerate out of control. He's going like 120-something miles an hour and he slammed into a tree. It's entirely possible. Ah, you can't do it twice. So there you have it. You know, I would just cite this. This is the Boeing Honeywell – uninterruptible autopilot um there's so, there's another thing called the flight termination systems uh, the defense department well darpa whoever the cia you know they've been looking at ways to take away control of an aircraft from a hijack situation you know for decades you know this this goes back to the 60s it just this is wikipedia the boeing uninterruptible autopilot is a system designed to take control of commercial aircraft away from the pilot or flight crew in the event of a hijacking if implemented, the system would allow the craft to automatically guide itself to a landing at a designated airstrip. The, quote, uninterruptible autopilot would be activated either by pilots, by onboard sensors, or remotely via radio or satellite links by government agencies. Or remotely via radio or satellite links by government agencies. So what does that mean by uninterruptible? Well, you know, you're a hijacker. You take control of the plane. 
you're flying it all of a sudden nothing you do controls the aircraft that's what that means it takes control you know and they they this was we're talking 80s 90s you know and of you know classic wikipedia they got to get that conspiracy theorist term in there conspiracy theorists have claimed that the technology has been secretly fitted to some commercial airliners in reality it's all boeing 7576 and anything with a fly-by-wire modern uh fms you know um you know, this gets into 370. Are we still talking about music? Anyway, that's just, I will cite that, you know, as evidence one. So anybody that's like deep into this stuff knows this lone gunman pilot. It was a Fox show that never got picked up, but they did make a pilot and it aired in the summer of 2001 and it just eerily predicts 9-11 and it's kind of a cheesy generic Fox show, but, but this is the kind of shit we're talking about right here. What do you mean no Bob? Okay, go into headsets. I'll call the airphones carrier. Make them think we're sending a ground air fax. That's one twisted star 69. I'll just get ready to ride the wave, hippie boy. Just get me on that plane and I'll get you autopilot access. How are you going to do that? Airline telemetry systems use processors similar to those found in CB radios. I'm in. We got ourselves a convoy. What's your progress? I've hacked into the flight control system output. With that little bit of help. It's what the brains of the plane is telling the little black box. Force heading, attitude hold, yaw axis stabilization. What? what the heck's that? Is that what it looks like? I think it is what it looks like. What does what look like? Modem protocols. Remote access. Somebody on the ground's flying your plane. Bogey, sir. Keep your course. We need to know our flight plan. I'm mapping the data now. Byers, your flight's gonna make an unscheduled stop in exactly 22 minutes. Corner of Liberty in Washington, lower Manhattan. Going to crash the plane into the World Trade Center. I'll tell the flight crew. Landing. Can you override the flight control system? I'm working on it. What is this? My name is Bert Byers. I work for the government. I believe this plane has been commandeered. Sir, uh, passengers are not allowed in the cockpit. I need you to return to your seat now. You don't have control of this plane, and I don't know if we can get it back. Turn off your autopilot. There may be a chance that we can override it. Sir, I'll be happy to contact your superiors in the government. To oh, did someone say Boeing uninterruptible autopilot? Sir, damn it! He's right. Anywho, I'll spare you the rest of this. Uh, you know, so that's, you know, 2001. Is it possible? And last but not least, uh, the very first episode of the Patreon only podcast was entitled, uh, Taylor Swift and the CIA. It's an oldie, but a goodie. And, uh, I'm just going to let it run. So this is, this is, uh, why you join the five, two, five records, Patreon. Cause we do deep dive. Well, I used to do deep dives on this kind of shit. I'm bringing it back though, baby. Episode 20. 
Taylor Swift and the CIA. How do you get from Taylor Swift, just a good American girl who wants to play music and nothing more, to Scooter Braun, Blackstone, CIA individuals? It's it's not that many leaps. It's just a couple. So enjoy. I'll leave you with the very first ever Patreon-only episode of the 525 Records podcast titled Taylor Swift and the CIA. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the first ever 525 Records Patreon-only podcast. We're going to tackle Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift in the Carlisle group. I can't get enough of this fucking story. It's just so fascinating to me. And uh, since I'm doing this for you, Seth, uh, you'll remember our former engineer, Jordan. That's our little personal connection to this fucking nightmare. So where do we start? Taylor Swift is squaring off with private equity giant Carlyle Group. I don't know how much you know about this, and this is not going to be the longest podcast in the world, but it's my first attempt at using OBS to stream actual video. What up, dude? And uh, while I'm, you know, pawing through internet... I'm playing killer fucking music. <clears throat> I got a background here. I can switch back and forth. Oh, yeah. I'm on break. Now I'm back. It's just such a good take on the state of the music industry. And, you know, being an avid 9-11 researcher and having a 20-year history of knowing about the Carlisle Group and where they came from and how they got their start, this is a private equity group that made their bones on defense acquisitions. I don't even know where to start with this whole thing. Let's just let's just read down the list. The Carlisle Group is heavily tied to the CIA, George H.W. Bush, uh, the Saudis, Henry Kissinger. Um, it is the heart of the military-industrial complex. And I, when I see this story, I can't help but think about people like Dave McGowan. Um... John Potash, who wrote several books about um, the FBI's war on Tupac Shakur, for instance, and other black leaders. We're going to get to this later. Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA's murderous targeting of SDS Panthers Hendrix, Lennon, Cobain, Tupac, and other leftists. So, very, very good book. Him, Dave McGowan, who wrote a book called um, Weird Scenes Inside Laurel Canyon. We're going to get to that in a minute. I don't. I just want to tease that a little bit. But So here's the big headline, right? You'll remember this from a couple weeks ago. Taylor Swift is squaring off with private equity giant Carlyle Group. Here's how the combatants stack up. This is the Market Watch article. I'm especially asking for help from the Carlyle Group, who put up money for the sale of my music to these men. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second here. Why the fuck is the Carlisle Group loaning $300 million to this shady-ass dude right here? This is the guy, Scooter Braun, to buy Taylor Swift's $300 million portfolio of music. Interesting, right? We'll just read down a little bit. Swift claimed that Braun and Big Machine CEO Scott Borchetta had forbidden her from performing her old songs. This is the big headline. Uh, then she took to Twitter, social media. This is the famous thing. 
that she said, uh, basically, be a good little girl and shut up or you'll be punished. By who? The Carlisle Group and the CIA? I mean, it's hard to tell. Scooter Braun, the new owner of her catalog? Finance? Why would she turn to Carlisle to help her when they're the one that loaned one of the most evil dudes since Tommy Mottola 300 million fucking dollars to buy her catalog? I mean, it makes no sense. This whole thing. And then, right, Elizabeth Warren and AOC chime in. That's when you know there's something really funky in Funky Town about this story and just the nationwide coverage and proliferation it's getting, I think it's fascinating. Uh, Carlisle's assets under management, $221 billion. 361 active real estate investments. This is good right here. Recent controversies. Because it, it all ties it together in a modern day. Instead of Carlisle and 9-11, which we're going to talk about next. Uh, this is more modern, right? Carlisle made headlines in 2018 after Patriot Act host Hassan Minaj, comedian, and you've probably seen him, spotlighted the firm's array of controversial investments, including military contracting and oil drilling. During an episode, he pointed out that Carlisle had a stake in Wesco, which contracts with BAE, and that they do the Eurofighter Typhoon combat aircraft right which is used by the saudis to bomb yemen <laughs> this is a company that profits off war and obesity wow i couldn't have said it better so um yeah you might remember a little movie called fahrenheit 9-11 <clears throat> in this movie which came out a couple years after 9-11 michael moore you probably saw it in the theater right like everybody else but they had this beautiful expose on carlisle it's short, and we're going to watch it right now. It's like a couple minutes, no big deal, but it's worth watching because it's fascinating. Here we go. Carlisle Group is a multinational conglomerate that invests in heavily government-regulated industries like telecommunications, healthcare, and particularly defense. Both George W. Bush and George H. W. Bush worked for the Carlisle Group, uh, the same company that counted the Bin Laden family among its investors. You might remember a recent story also, Ellen... I don't know if you saw this. Ellen at the Rangers game, the Texas Rangers game, with former president, the younger Bush, made headlines. What the hell is Ellen doing with a fucking war criminal? Laughing, chatting it up, right? Carlisle Group was holding its annual investor conference on the morning of September 11th in the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Washington, D.C. At that meeting uh, were all of the Carlisle regulars. James Baker, likely John Major, definitely George H.W. Bush, though he left the morning of September 11. Shafiq bin Laden, who is Osama bin Laden's half-brother, um, and was in town to look after his family's investments in the Carlisle group. Um, all of them together in one room watching as the, um, the planes hit the towers and that in fact the Bin Laden family was invested in one of their defense funds, which ironically meant that um, as the United States started increasing its defense spending, um, the Bin Laden family stood to gain from those investments uh, through the Carlisle Group. Our Commander-in-Chief, President George W. Bush. With all the weapons companies it owned, the Carlisle Group was, in essence, the 11th largest defense contractor in the United States. Thanks a lot. It owned United Defense, makers of the Bradley Armored Fighting Vehicle. September 11th guaranteed that United Defense was going to have a very good year. Just six weeks after 9-11, 
Carlisle filed to take United Defense public and in December made a one-day profit of $237 million. But sadly, with so much attention focused on the Bin Laden family being important Carlisle investors, the Bin Ladens eventually had to withdraw. Bush's dad, though, stayed on as senior advisor to Carlisle's Asia board for another two years. As unseemly as it seems uh, to, uh, to, to know that George H.W. Bush was meeting with the, the Bin Laden family um, while Osama was a wanted terrorist um, well before September 11th, it's very discomforting for, for Americans to know that. George H.W. Bush is a man who has uh, obviously incredible reach into the White House. Also former CIA director. Um, he receives daily CIA briefings, which is the right of any ex-president, uh, but very few ex-presidents actually exercise that right. Uh, he does. And I think in, in a very real way, they are benefiting from the confusion that arises when George H.W. Bush visits Saudi Arabia on behalf of Carlisle and meets with uh, the royal family and meets with the Bin Laden family. Um, is he representing the United States of America? Uh, or is he representing an investment firm in the United States of America? Or is he representing both? Uh, this company is about money. It's not about conspiracies to run the world or um, you know, engineer political maneuvering and things like that. It's about making money, and it's about making a lot of money, and they've done very well. I can get you on the record on this question. Uh, in the White House view, it, there's uh, no ethical uh, conflict in uh, former President Bush and former Secretary of State Jim Baker using their contacts with world leaders to represent one of the most well-known military arms dealers, the Carlisle Group. The President has full faith that his family will conform with all proper ethics laws, all ethics laws, and will act properly in their conduct. So uh, that was 2003. Fast forward a few years. This is this Wired article. Want to buy a world controlling investment firm? They went public uh, back in 2012. This is fascinating because if you remember Edward Snowden, he worked for a company called Booz Allen Hamilton, which Carlyle bought right after the financial crisis. So just fascinating, isn't it? I think it's fascinating. Um, Frank Carlucci, you know, famous CIA guy. Uh, Yeah, so, you know, Fahrenheit 9-11 was a long time ago. So it's hard, you know. But anyway, so fast forward to today. Taylor Swift squaring off against Carlisle Group. I mean, is that really, is that even the right way to say that i mean why would why would they be into this so anyway this is fascinating a timeline of what happened after scooter braun acquired taylor swift's big machine catalog news broke june 30th scooter braun's ithaca holdings this is his little holding company media company that carlisle actually got into in 2017 long before this right long before this the the carlisle group had this close relationship with Scooter Braun. And that's key to realize because this just didn't come out of nowhere. You know, uh, Braun acquires Borchetta's big machine, including Swiss Cadillac for over 300 million financed by the Carlisle group. Um, coincidentally, that's about Taylor's net worth as of last year is about 360 million. So she could have actually bought this whole catalog herself. Uh, deal is being financed by Carlisle Group, Carlisle Partners Six Fund, right? 
Alongside Braun and Ithaca, the company also announced that Carlyle will remain a minority shareholder in Ithaca and continue to support the combined company's growth strategy. Jay Sammons, who heads up Carlyle's uh, media board, media division, the company lost Swift to Universal, who also tried to buy the catalog, who was told no, whose valuation is at $33 billion. I mean, it dwarfs both these guys and Carlyle. Um, but, you know, they wouldn't sell. He wouldn't sell to Universal. Instead, he sold it to Scooter, which requires the Carlyle Group to make a $300 million loan. It's just fascinating. Anyway, so then this unleashes this whole social media war, right? Justin Bieber taking sides, all these celebs getting in on it. Swift's like, F you, I'm going to re-record my old albums. She does a Sunday morning appearance. This is great right here. Swift alleges Braun and Borchetta are exercising tyrannical control over her music. And saying, you know, denying the use of her older hits until November 2020. Then, you know, it just gets better and better. So here's the shady side of Scooter Braun. This is uh, one of the quotes from Taylor. Never in my worst nightmares did I imagine the buyer would be Scooter. Swift wrote, Anytime Scott has heard the words Scooter Braun escape my lips, it was when I was either crying or trying not to. It sounds a lot like Mariah Carey, doesn't it? Talking about Tommy Mottola. I mean, just fascinating parallels. I mean, look at this dude. Tell me this guy doesn't look fucking shady as fuck you know so then uh this is from financial times right um in a post broadcast to her 20 200 million social media followers swift asked for help to talk some sense into the men who are exercising tyrannical control over someone who just wants to play music i'm especially asking for help from the carlisle group who put up money for the sale of my music to these two men carlisle had been an investor in ithaca since 2017 Hmm, interesting. Provided additional equity this year for the $300 million acquisition of Big Machine. Now, two things have to happen, right? One, Borchetta has to sell, right? Who he had already told Universal no. I'm sure it was a much bigger bid. Who was actually Taylor Swift's label at the time. Now, um, and two, you know, Scooter's got to come up with the money to buy it. (laughs) Enter the Carlisle Group. But this is fascinating, right? Because there's been this 15-year lull in streaming, but now streaming is back, and it's a big revenue driver, and all these guys like Spotify, Pandora, you know, they all took a loss on the initial streaming with um, record labels taking like equity positions and stock in Spotify, Pandora, these are all these you know platforms. So lose money at first, then when streaming blows up, take the company's public like spotify um boom that's how you make money it's fascinating that's that was a big story last year but anyway so this is fascinating right as streaming services help the music industry rebound from a 15 year slump it has become attractive again to investors like carlisle interesting Spotify, well, Blackstone, that's who really runs the world, uh, has bought two music licensing companies in recent years. Universal Music, Swiss new record label, was recently valued at $33 billion. So, streaming is back with a vengeance. Um, 
doing a ton of CD baby stuff. I've, uh, I'm getting all these like how to get your songs into Spotify and they have all these success stories. I should have brought, I should have pulled on it, but I don't have it. Um, for instance, all these dudes quitting their day job because they had one song wind its way into a awesome Spotify playlist and then boom, now they're getting millions of streams a month and they're making like ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a month off one song in one fucking hot ass Spotify playlist. So yeah, interesting. But here's here's my whole take on this, right? Being an avid 9-11 researcher. This is great from Zero Hedge. From 9-11 to Prismgate, how the Carlisle Group leveraged buyout, LBO'd, the world's secrets. Huh, that's interesting. Just talking about Snowden, Booz Allen Hamilton. Um, this is great right here. This is a Carlisle person on television talking about buying energy and she's a smoke show notwithstanding but you know very reliable respectable people working for carlisle on wall street doing all kinds of legitimate investments on top of the whole military industrial complex stuff you know but they they have their arms into everything dude they're all there's like a gigantic octopus so um but it's talking about people like carlisle just hiring former government employees that already have security clearances it just makes everything easy Uh, Of the 4.9 million people with clearance to access confidential and secret government information, 1.1 million, or 21%, work for outside contractors, like Booz Allen Hamilton, who was bought by the Carlisle Group, who Snowden went on to uh, be a whistleblower from. Taylor Swift, the Carlisle Group, George H.W. Bush... The CIA, what does it hell have to do, you know? I mean, the biggest thing I keep coming back to is people like Dave McGowan and John Ponash, who... I'll play a quick little clip. This is from uh, Radio Broadcast. Now, Dave McGowan, if you don't know him, he wrote weird scenes inside Laurel Canyon. He, he basically details how every single major 60s pop star, like, for instance, Jim Morrison... Jim Morrison's dad, you probably know this, right? Big time Navy Admiral. He was the in charge of all naval operations for the Gulf of Tonkin in Vietnam and blah, blah, blah. But you go down the line from Frank Zappa to Jim Morrison, David Crosby, they've all got these huge ties to the defense industry and military in particular. So anyway, here's one little excerpt. Uh, you know, uh, fully into the, the Vietnam War, and yeah. uh, which ended up with, you know, like 60,000 U.S. deaths and well over a million Vietnamese deaths. Um, you know, we had already been in there before, but that was the event that uh, that turned it into a, an overt, uh, you know, just a huge, uh, huge war. And, uh, and yeah. that, 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 those ships, <laughs> uh, which are now most a lot of historians now acknowledge that the whole event was, was uh, basically staged. That U.S. ships were never actually under attack, and that the whole thing was was kind of staged as a pretext to draw us into the war. And and uh, we find that uh, one of the major players in that was none other than uh, Admiral Morrison, Jim Morrison's dad. You yes. know, and. Uh, uh, John Phillips, you know, the head of the Mamas and the Papas, the son of a uh, U.S. Marine officer who himself attended West Point and 
virtually his entire family uh, worked for the military intelligence com- complex. His mom, his sister, both worked in the Pentagon. Interesting. Uh, you know, his dad was a was a career uh, Marine officer. And, I mean, just um, you know, there was just just all kinds of threads uh, connecting him to the to the intelligence community. And and these are these you know these guys aren't isolated you know you go down the list David Crosby Stephen Stills you know every one of these guys pretty much uh, virtually without exception you know Jackson Brown all three of the guys from the band America um, and on and on and on you know every one of them is the son of uh, of a uh, military uh, slash intelligence uh, operative you know and. That that can't be a coincidence. Yeah, you know? I mean, you know, the more you look at it, the less it looks like a spontaneous sort of uh, grassroots, uh, you know, movement, and more and more like a very, very carefully controlled uh, and uh, you know, uh, a very, very, very much controlled movement of people that. All came from the same background, many of whom knew each other. Uh, you know, like Warren Beatty and John Phillips played on like opposing basketball teams in DC or in like Arlington or That's something. Right. You know? That's right. That's right. Yeah, Virginia. You find all this crazy stuff that, you know, they all, they all came from the same background and, and even in, in some cases even, even knew each other and had grown up to some degree together. And, and then they all just, by purely by chance, happened to end <laughs> up, you know, uh, at the forefront of this, you know, countercultural uh, hippie movement. So, I mean, just think about it, right? 63, Kennedy gets assassinated. Uh, 64, we go into Vietnam under the pretense of the Gulf of Tonkin. 65, 66, the war starts turning south. 67, that was the summer of love, the acid experiment, the Grateful Dead, San Francisco, Haight-Ashbury, all that stuff. The 60s was this counterculture revolution brewing, and it was all building up you know, to uh, the summer of 68, where you had uh, MLK get killed, um, RFK get killed. This is on the, the, the campaign trail to get to the Democratic Convention in Chicago, which... You know, I don't know if when was the last time you saw that footage, but that thing makes Hong Kong look like child's play, what they did to those protesters. And it was kind of the last time democracy in politics was, you know, halfway real, if you ask me. So then, you know, they've basically got a full on revolution on their hands at this point after MLK, RFK, JFK, you know, Vietnam. I mean, it's just the country's literally on fire and burning with people screaming for the heads of LBJ, Nixon, anybody you know, that was in a position of power and, um, enter the moon landing, right? 69, 1970, uh, Hendrix gets, you know, Hendrix dies. Um, there was a big thing cause today was the anniversary of Fred Hampton, who was the black Panther leader in Chicago, which kind of brings me full circle to John Potash, right? Who has written numerous books on the topic. And I think he's, you know, pretty good source. Um, so yeah the cia dealing with lsd the cia's role in the flower movement the fbi's war on tupac um targeting mlk malcolm hendrix marley rappers all these leftist uh musicians and you know people that had uh, sway over 
the popular uh, movements. So, yeah. Yeah. Taylor Swift. This is why it's so fascinating. So, you know, I'll leave it there. First ever. Patreon only. Super secret. Patreon uh, members only podcast. So I hope you enjoyed it, buddy. I'm trying to keep it under 30 minutes. So we're at 26. Something to think about, you know. I mean, what does it all mean? What does it all add up to? The Carlyle Group. The CIA. 9-11. The CIA's uh, long, decades-long involvement in everything from music to Hollywood. That was the other thing about this. Um, I don't know if you heard about Lookout Mountain. That's one of the things Dave McGowan talks a lot about is uh, Lookout Mountain, which was the um, Laurel Canyon. It was a secret, basically, Air Force base or film studio, whatever you want to call it. People like John Wayne and uh, Marilyn Monroe would go up there and cut these like propaganda films for the government, basically. But they had a full-on studio animation. Um, Jared Leto just bought it like a couple years ago for like 50 million bucks. But long since deactivated. But like, look at this right here. Getty Images, right? I don't know. You probably know Getty. <clears throat> Getty Images, right? They do all these world-famous stock images, right? I mean, they're fucking world-famous, dude. You know Getty. Uh, Carlisle owns Getty. So we'll leave it there. Taylor Swift, the Carlisle Group, and the CIA. Man, fascinating stuff. Anyway, hope you have a good one, buddy. 525 out. <laughs>